0: Good morning, Parkview. It's great to be with you, worshiping our Lord as we look at his word. My name is Wade. I'm a pastor for college students, and uh, it's great to be back uh, here at Parkview after a little bit of hiatus. Our baby boy, Haddon, has come. Some of you know that. He didn't know, now you know. And uh, oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, <laughs> my wife's there in the back, so she, you know, she did everything. So, uh, but we're so thankful for you. This is just a word of thanksgiving uh, to you as a church, the ways that you have supported us and encouraged us. We have felt so loved by so many of you and the ways that you've been so generous and have sacrificed and brought us meals and just generally just celebrated this wonderful time in our life. So we're just, again, very, very thankful for you and feel so deeply loved and just return that uh, that affection to you. So if you're a new or returning college student, most likely you're probably here. So welcome. School starts tomorrow. Okay, great. And uh If you are, we just want to, again, invite you, please come to the lunch. That's right after. Uh, We'd love to connect you uh, 24-7 and figure out what it's going to look like to pursue Jesus together this year. And so we're so thankful that you're here and uh, are excited to see what Jesus is going to do in us and through us uh, this year of of ministry. So, well, we're in a series called the Park uh, Parkview DNA. We're looking at the three G's, right? Gather, grow, and go. That's how we make disciples here at Parkview. Disciples that are maturing in love for Christ are those who gather together and worship. We uh, grow in Christ's likeness and we go on mission together to bring the gospel of Jesus to all those places that you saw here in Iowa City, but also uh, to the nations. And uh, we take that very seriously uh, as the mission that Jesus called us to as a church and what it looks like to make disciples. So today we're looking at grow, okay? So last week, gather, gather together and worship. Today, grow in Christ's likeness, okay? How? How as Christians, how do you grow in Christ-likeness? How do you become more like Jesus? If you are a follower of Jesus, that is your number one passion. I want to look and reflect like my Savior. And so how does that look? What are the steps involved in growing into maturity in Jesus? Or let me ask it this way, okay? What sin do you struggle with most? What sin do you struggle with most... And what, what do you need to do to get rid of that sin, to kill that sin, to put it to death, and to walk in the newness of life that Christ has given to you through his death and resurrection? What, what does that look like? Well, so some of you, some of us in here, uh, we struggle with, the, with, with lust. Okay? The tentacles of impure desire are wrapped around our hearts. We consistently find ourselves looking at images on our phone we know we should never look at, but we do wonder what's going on there. And our mind often wanders towards, wanders towards fantasy when we're at work. Some of us, maybe it's not lust, maybe our propensity is towards greed. You always need to be purchasing that next item off Amazon. Wow, if there's anything that makes it hard to live with contentment. It's that Amazon is an app on my phone, okay? And I can get books whenever I want. Uh, but, you know, we had that feeling, right? If, if I could just get that next item, I'd feel a little bit less anxious, a little bit more in control of my life. That new gadget Uh, that new clothing item, and we go and we purchase things we don't even need, we feel kind of swamped uh, by this propensity to keep getting that new thing. Maybe it's not lust or greed, maybe it's anger for some of us in here, anger. The smallest inconveniences can often make you erupt like a volcano. If someone disrespects you in the slightest way, you often blow up, and your family could tell you that there are times when you scare them with how fierce you are towards them. Maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's lying. Maybe there's a version of you at church. There's a version of you at home. There's a version of you at work. And there's no integration between them because you're not really being honest about who you are and living an authentic life before others. Those are some of the sins that we struggle with. I assume most of us can, find, can locate ourselves in one of those, I'd assume. But here's the other thing, Right? In the midst of the struggle with those sins, if you are a follower of Christ, okay, you you love your Lord Jesus, right? You love Him. You want to live for Him. You want to reflect Him. You want to put on His character, don't you? And you need help. We all need help to learn how is it that we go from struggling with the sin to to growing in character with Christ. What, What is that step involved? Well, if you are like me and need help to fight against your sin, how to put it to death? Well, well, the answer is in Colossians three five to eleven. Colossians three five to eleven. That's where we're going to be this morning. It is given for you. It's given to God's people. It's in the Bible for any tired, beat up, broken down Christian who needs help to really understand that Jesus loves you so much. He not only forgives your sin. But through his death and resurrection, he has given you power and the resources to actually rid yourself of that sin in your life and to walk in obedience to him. Jesus loves you enough, not just to forgive your sin, but to help and empower you to walk in obedience to him as you put that sin to death. According to Colossians 3, growth, here we go, growth, it's about becoming who we are. It's about becoming who we already are in Christ. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read Colossians 3, 5 to 11, okay? And we'll listen aloud, uh, and and then we'll pray, and then we'll move forward, right? Here we go. Hear now the word of the Lord from Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. This is God's word for us. It is true and it's given to us in love. Let's pray. Father, please send your spirit's power to help us understand this text. Help me preach in reliance upon the Spirit. We pray that you would exalt Christ from this text into our hearts for your glory, Lord. We pray for Pastor Casey at North Campus as he is preaching right now. And pray for Pastor Fern as he is preaching at East Campus. Lord, would you empower both of those men to declare your gospel with clarity and boldness, Lord, and that you would advance your kingdom through the preaching of your word today in their ministry, Lord. And as we think about our time together, Lord, help us. Trust all that you promise. Hear all that you speak. Confess where we so often fail and love all that you love for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm gonna use an analogy, okay? In the analogy, I talk about ISU. I mean no offense towards ISU, but here we go, okay, no offense, here we go. Imagine if you are a freshman at ISU, okay? It's a freshman year at ISU, you're a cyclone. Scary thought, for sure, okay? But just imagine it for a second. Partway through your spring semester, you have a realization, something dawns upon you. You no longer like ISU. You don't enjoy your major, nor your professors. You thought Ames, it's a bit boring. The dorm food, not good. And you realize, football team, just bad, okay? (laughs) Again, no offense, hang with me, okay? Now what would you do in that moment of realization? Well, you make the best decision of your life and you transfer from being a cyclone to being a Hawkeye, okay? So now it's your sophomore year, you're at the University of Iowa, go Hawks, and you're moving into your apartment with one of your best friends. You make the drive from your home, wherever it is, to Iowa City with all the stuff in your mom's minivan. You finally get to your room. Your friend and your roommate, he's already there, he's got his stuff unpacked, okay? So it's now your turn to bring your stuff in to unpack it, okay? Now, you begin the process of unpacking, right? And here's what your roommate sees. You start putting away your clothes and your shirts, lots of them, gold and cardinal red. You put away your socks, cyclone socks, you have Cyclone workout shorts, Cyclone computer stickers, Cyclone water bottle. You even have a Cyclone video game controller. It probably doesn't exist, but if it did, you had it, and it's there in your dorm room or in your apartment. Okay? And top it all off, you have a huge Go Cyclones banner that goes above your bed. Now, if your friend sees you pull out all this stuff, what's he going to say to you? This is what he's going to say you got to put this stuff away. Because you're not a cyclone, you're a Hawkeye now. You're not a cyclone, you're a Hawkeye. And Hawks don't wear cyclone socks. Hawks don't drink cyclone water bottles. Hawks don't use cyclone computer stickers. Hawks definitely don't put up cyclone banners above their bed. You are a Hawkeye, not a cyclone. And you need to live like it. So you need to get rid of all this stuff. The Apostle Paul on Colossians 3 is like that roommate. He's like that friend. According to verses 1 through 4, if you want to look there real quick, you and I, if we're in Christ, we've experienced a transfer of identity. Okay? We've gone from ISU to University of Iowa. Okay? You've died with Christ, verse 3. Verse 1 says you've been raised with Christ, and now your life is hidden with Christ. Jesus now determines who you are He reshapes your loves. He reorients your passions. He gives you a new priority for how you ought to live your life. Jesus is your life. Therefore, we need to live like it. So we need to put off anything in our life, put to death, kill anything in our life that does not belong to this new life that we have in Jesus. That is what Colossians 3, 5-11 is saying. In one phrase, big aim today is we must kill sin because of who we are in Christ. We must kill sin because of who we are in Christ. Now, the way that this big aim is accomplished in Colossians 3, 5 through 11 is by a certain flow that's in the passage. Okay? It's repeated twice. Okay? So look closely with me. Okay, In verses 5 through 7, we see there's going to be a command to put sin to death, verse 5, and then 6 to 7 are the motivations to put that sin to death okay? So command, then motivation to kill sin. Then verse 11, we see the same thing again. Command to kill sin, verse 8, and then motivation to put that sin to death, verses 9 to 11. Command to kill sin, motivation to put the sin to death, okay? So verse 5 is the first command to put sin to death. Look at verse 5 with me. Please look down in your Bibles. Put to death, therefore, what is Earthly in you. Okay, and the, the therefore is very essential. Okay, if you're newer to reading the Bible, if you ever come across therefore, especially in the letters of Paul, you, you should kind of have this like light bulb flash above your brain, saying, "Ooh, this is important," because you have to look at the context. Okay, and like we said, the context, right? Paul's saying this in verses one to four. He's saying, in light of your union with Christ, that you have, say, for example, iPhone, K okay, disconnected, no power. If I was to plug it into the wall. All the power of the wall is surging this iPhone, okay? We have been united, connected to Christ. All that is in Christ is now ours. Therefore, verse 5, put to death what's earthly in you. Jesus is reigning in heaven, and our life is there with him, and he is the source of our joy and our power to live a different type of life. Therefore, put to death what's earthly in you. So, Definition of putting sin to death. Okay, this is what it means. Okay, putting sin to death, killing sin. By that, I mean this. Okay, this is what the scripture says. It means the radical commitment to reject any attitude or action that offends God and hinders your ability to love Him and serve others. Putting sin to death, killing sin, means the radical commitment to reject any attitude or action that offends God and hinders your ability to become who you are in Christ. Okay, if verse one of four is true of you, dead. In uh, sin to Christ, alive raised to Christ. Therefore, verse five, put to death was early, Put to death. What hinders you to become who you are in Jesus? Our baby boy Haddon, right? A little word picture here. Uh, he he's big. Okay, so newborn little little onesies they don't fit him anymore. Okay, and he's kind of growing out of like the one to three month now. So we're gonna have to put him in a three to six. Now he's not big enough for a three to six. Okay, so he has the three to six on him. But it doesn't fully fit him yet, right? He has to grow up into it. And that's, that's what our life in Christ is like. We have the new life in Christ, this fullness of life. In a sense, it's a little bit, it's bigger than us in a sense. And we have to take a whole life of growing up into who we already are in Christ, what we already have in Christ. And the way we do that is by put to death our sexual sin and our covetousness, right? That's verse 5. Verse 5 says we have to put to death our sexual morality, impurity, passion, and evil desire. These four, these four words deal with the external actions, sexual immorality, and the internal attitudes of the heart, impurity, passion, evil desire, that are opposed to God's good design for sexual intimacy in a marriage between one man and one woman. Okay, anything contrary to that is an offense to God, and we ought to, by the power of his spirit, put it to death, kill it, rid it of our lives. The second thing he talks about is covetousness, right? Covetousness is desiring more and more stuff, especially when you see other people with it, right? Other people are living the life, like keeping up with the Joneses, that is our way of saying covetousness, okay? So both of these need to be put to death, they need to be killed, they need to be rejected in our life because they are not who we are. And both of these are rooted in idolatry, right? Do you see that word, covetousness, which is idolatry, verse 5, okay? Idolatry is loving and treasuring something or someone more than Christ. So when we are pursuing lustful images on our iPhones, what that says is that Jesus is not beautiful enough for you. When we cross healthy, godly boundaries in our relationship with a girlfriend or boyfriend, what we're saying is that Jesus in his purity is not wise enough for you. When we consistently overspend on stuff we don't need in order to make us feel more comfortable and secure, what actually is saying is that Jesus and the life he gives us is not good enough for us, and therefore we're discontent. It's up, it's up to us to create the life that we want. These sins are idols, and idolatry always is offensive to God. Therefore, because we are in Christ, we must put these away. So how do we do that? We need motivation we need motivation to kill our sin. Verse 6 and 7. Look down through the two motivations. A warning in verse 6 and then a reminder in verse 7. Verse 6, warning. On account of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. Future tense. The wrath of God, there's a coming a day where it's coming upon those who participate in these sins. Now, many of us do not like the idea of the wrath of God, but it is biblical. And like everything else in the Bible, it's given to us for our good. God's wrath is not a random outburst of anger. It is not like a parent who gets upset because the child did something to embarrass them in front of their colleagues. God's wrath is a subtle opposition to anything that is contrary to his loving design. Example, any loving father will get angry when his son does not obey the rules that are meant to protect him and provide security for him. A father will get angry with a son if he runs out in the street. Why? Because the father loves his son so much, and the father values his son's life so much, and his son, when he's rejecting the boundaries, is is rejecting that love and provision the father wants in his life. So you better believe a good father will get angry. God's wrath is upon these sins. So what Paul is saying is this, whether sexual sin or materialism, when they're the center of your life, when they're the idols, when they are what, what you pursue, this path will eventually lead to judgment under God's wrath. This is because these forms of sin are rejections of God's good and loving design of how humans ought to live and operate in this world. That's that's a negative motivation, okay? It's a warning, okay? It's a warning to flee sin, okay? But, but, But look, look, some of you think, oh, wait, so is that how it works then? So God loves me if I'm obedient, but then when I sin, He's wrathful towards me. And I had to wait, like, another week and a half till I'm obedient again and work up on... And then he loves me. No, that's not how it works. Look at, verse, look at verse 7. Here's the positive, the reminder. Verse 7. In these sins you once walked when you were living in them. See the past tense? You once walked, you were living in them. At one time you were in sin. Okay, that's what he's talking about, Okay. The wrath of God coming upon those who are in the sin. This is your life. This is the power that drives your life, is sin. But no, this is not who you are because of Christ. The wrath of God has been satisfied through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in our place. And those who receive Jesus, God's wrath is not upon us anymore because we're in Jesus. And you were once there, but that's not who you are anymore. You're a hawk now, right? Therefore, live like it. This is really good news for us. You see, Jesus has freed us from our past life of sin. Okay, the cross. Presently, he's seeking to remove sin in our life by the work of the Holy Spirit. And in the future, one day, he's going to eradicate the presence of sin in our life. But right now, we have power, because of who we are in Christ, to put to death these sins, because they no longer define who you are. Parkview, you once lived in these sins. These sins used to be your master. Used to go to the dorm room at ISU. You used to go get the food at ISU. You used to go to the football games. You lived your whole life right there, but you've now been transferred. You have a new master. You have a new place that you live, a new people that you belong to. Therefore, we must live out this life. So what does this look like for you specifically? Well, maybe this is what this means. is confessing to a trusted friend or to some of the warped desires you've been struggling with recently. Some of you just need to have a friend that you can be honest with. You need to ask them to help you grow in love for Christ, and you need that friend to be speaking the truth of Christ to you, about who you are. In my life, the Lord used one of these friends to set me free from a pattern of lust several years ago. I was caught in a deep pattern of lust in my life, and I still remember the conversation I had with my friend Kurt, I still remember where we were sitting. I remember what he said. At least at this hour, I remember what he said. He said, Wade, you are not taking your lust seriously enough. And you can live in the freedom that Christ purchased for you on the cross. You need to kill this sin. He said, Wade, you're using the grace of Jesus as an excuse to disobey Jesus. You need to kill this sin, brother. I remember that. And you know what? I remember that was a turning point in my life, that particular sin. Remember, that was a game-changing conversation for me. And you know what? I still need those friends. I still need to meet Monday morning at 9 a.m. with Thomas Hoke, which we do at Bread Garden. And he needs to speak directly about my sin. He needs to remind me of who I am in Christ. He needs to compel me to live life differently, away from the sins. You know why? Because I am not these sins. I once walked in them, but it's not who I am now in Christ. Do you have those friends? Do you have those friends that you can unburden your heart honestly with? Freshman, I know you're new, you're making friends. Pray earnestly to the Lord that he provides those type of friends for you right now. He'll answer that prayer. So, Do you have that type of friend? Maybe for some of us, if, if greed or covetousness is more where we're kind of bent towards in terms of our besetting sin, maybe it means allowing a wise community member give access to how you use money. Maybe you just, they, get, they get permission to ask you questions about how you've been stewarding your money. Maybe they can look at your budget with you and ask you why you spend your money and what you do. And they can help you, walk with you, learn patterns of wisdom and how to steward your money. Maybe putting sin to death means prayerfully seeking soul care here at Parkview Church. The soul care team is trained to help us. When we get those places where we're stuck, right? I've been stuck in my life. There's times where I've had to get counseling. Getting counseling is not a form of weakness. It's a form of wisdom. If there's a place and you're stuck in your life and you just feel like you can't move forward, maybe it means you need help. A more kind of disciplined, regular, week-on-week care of your soul where the person that's at part you can connect the good news of Jesus to what you're particularly struggling with. There's all these different ways it looks like in our life, but whatever it is, friends, in Jesus, you have the power to resist sin and to put it to death because it's not who you are now. It was who you were, but it's not who you are. So we need to put to death sin and live differently. Now, we've got to move on to the second section, okay? Again, same flow. Remember the flow. Command to kill sin, motivation to kill, okay? Verse 8 to 9, the command, okay? Look at verse 8. You must put them all away, okay? There's the... Si- put it away, okay? Remember that? You got the cyclone banner? See you later, okay? Shirts, burn them, okay? Um, what sin is, is Paul, Paul talking about here? Well, he's talking about sins committed primarily in community, okay? Verse 8 talks about sins of attitude in the community, okay? Anger... Wrath, malice are kind of internal emotions, okay, that then affect our relationships, okay? Anger is that lava of irritation that begins to boil inside of you. And then the wrath is kind of when that volcano erupts and harms others. And then that malice is kind of that enduring bitterness or heart of hatred towards another person. Where at times, if you're honest, you even cherish when they fail, Right? These things need to be put away. And notice, right, that that there's no such thing as a private sin. You know, sin is never private. Sin always is anti-community. Sin is always anti-relationship. We like to think sin is kind of, oh, it's my own struggle with just me and maybe God. But sin always harms community. It always hinders relationship with others. You know, I never thought I struggled with anger until I had a kid, okay? What do I mean, okay? Let's maybe kind of, you know, Not that serious, but hear me out, hear me out. Recently, Claire told me, she said, wow, you've gotten angry several times since Haddon has come. And it made me think, wow. You know, that anger, it's not like all of a sudden Haddon came and he brought with him anger into my heart, right? Anger was already there. It just needed that situation, okay? And the situation is this, I want to read books. I don't want to change a diaper, right now, Claire. I want to read. Can you deal, you know, it's an inconvenience of my schedule, okay? Now, it's kind of funny, okay? It's not like, again, it's not like I'm raging against him or anything like that. Nothing like that. We love him. He's the best, okay? But here's what I mean. I have to be careful, right? Because if I'm not careful to put to death this little seed of anger, seeds grow into trees, friends, and I don't want my 23-year-old son thinking to himself, wow, my dad really got upset a ton when I disturbed him when he was preparing for sermons. I don't want my son to think, wow, my dad really struck with anger a lot. I felt a bit of an inconvenience to him because he had his ministry to care for. Some of you have little seeds going on right now. You got to kill it. Seeds grow in the trees, okay? But remember, we kill because of who we are in Christ, right? There's further sins we must put away. Look at uh, the last part of verse 8, okay? Sins of speech, okay? Sins of attitude and community, but then sins of speech and community, okay? Slander, like that time when you speak about someone behind their back, they're not there to defend themselves, and what you say about them is actually not true. Slander. Slander. You never say it to their face, and it harms their character. That's Slander. That's slander. Obscene talk, right? Obscene talk is making jokes about another person for others to laugh at. It's making fun of something God has created good, okay, and using dirty language to gain approval from other people. That's obscene talk. Or lying, right? Lying is basically just dishonesty in relationships. You're not honest about what's really going on inside of you and living in relationship to other. We must put these away, you. we got to get rid of them. We've got to get rid of them. They, 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 they disrupt community and they disrupt the way we honor our Lord. So we, we got to have motivation, right? These, these are dangerous sins, okay? But, so then we got to have motivation to put these to death. Now, look at the motivation that we have. Look at the resources we have in Christ, starting in verse, verse 9 and then 11, right? 9 to 11, we have new humanity in Christ the new relationship with others. New humanity in Christ, 9 to 10. Seeing that you've put off the old self and its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed after the knowledge of the image of its creator. So yet again, Paul shows that growth in Christ-likeness can only happen, right? Only. There's no plan B. There's only one plan for growth in Christ-likeness, and it happens because of our new identity in Christ. The old self has been crucified, it's done away with, must put it away, and we have this new self that's been given to us in Jesus, must put it on and live it out. And I want you to notice something, okay, the language of verse 10, look down at verse 10, put on the new self, other translations talk about the new humanity, it's probably a better translation actually, okay, the word there is for humanity, new humanity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That sound familiar to anyone? The image of its creator, Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis, get excited, right? We're going to start a gen- series in Genesis soon. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates humanity in his image to reflect his character to the world, okay? But in Genesis 3, humans deface the image of God through sin. And like a broken down house, humanity is a remnant of what it should be. We, so what happens, right? Because we are sinners, because we've been, our hearts have been bent in the wrong direction, what happens is we take good things that God gives us sex, relationships, money, emotions, and then we twist them for our own self-centered desires and purposes because we are under the powered influence of sin. The image of God has not been eradicated from us, but it has been deeply marred and affected by sin. And so the rest of the Bible from Genesis 3 onward is God's restoration project, is Him going about fixing our broken-down houses. And how does he do that? He does it through Jesus. Colossians 1.15, if you have your Bible, so you can flip there of your phone, scroll up. Colossians 1.15 says this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, meaning Jesus is the human being we should have been but could not be and cannot be because of our sin. So then guess what, Parkview, what happens? If you are, right, the phone, plugged into the wall, if you're plugged into Christ, who is the true human who loved God and neighbor the way we're supposed to, okay, and who did not commit any sin, but walked with God in integrity and faithfulness every day of his life. What happens if you are plugged into that person? What begins to happen is you begin to be renewed, right, in the image of your creator. You get to be renewed into who you were meant to be. You get to become the human you've always been longing to become with joy and tenderness and affection and purity of heart and love for others and living passionately and energetically for the mission of Jesus beyond your own selfish desires, you get to become like Jesus. God's plan for you is for you to be restored and renewed in the image of Jesus. Here's why this is good news. This is good news because we can kill sin because it's, it's no longer who we are. Sin is. Sin in a word, sin is insanity. It's insanity. It makes no sense, right? It makes no sense to who we are. It's like a snake, okay? Old humanity, okay? The snake has venomous poison. It keeps biting you. It has power to kill, okay? But in Christ, the fangs of venom of sin have been defanged. So sin can still harm you. The serpent can still harm you, but it cannot kill you. You are already dead to sin in Christ, and therefore you have new life. And so those angry outbursts are no longer who you are. Damaging another person's character through your words is no longer who you are. You can begin to use your language to build up, to encourage, to edify. Instead of anger, you can be replaced with patience, with kindheartedness. Why? Because you are connected to Jesus, the true human, and you're becoming like him. If you are in Christ, you are part of the new humanity, and so sin no longer is your master Jesus is. You're not a cyclone. You're Hawkeye. We need to live like it. And then not only are you new humanity, here's our final motivation, right? It's we're in a new relationship with others in Christ-centered community, right? If we think about the sins in verse 8, they're all the ways that it breaks down community. Anger, wrath, malice. It, 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 it destroys community, right? But look at what we have in verse 11. We have the, the recreation, restoration of community in Christ. Paul says, here there is not, meaning he's talking about barriers, right? The Things that divide, that often divide communities. Here there's not, Greek and Jew, that's ethnicity that divides us, okay? Uh, circumcised, uncircumcised, that's religious background before Christ that no longer divides us, and, or barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Basically, that's social or economic status, okay? Those are the things that oftentimes divide us, at least it does in our culture around us, but in the church, it is a culture that's defined by the gospel of Jesus. How do we know? Paul says, because Christ is all and in all. When Jesus is the center of a community, How we relate to him vertically shapes and transforms how we relate to one another horizontally. As Christ becomes the blazing center of this church, Parkview, you better believe our relationships are going to be more and more filled with the beauty of holiness, of tenderness, of encouragement, of honor, and less and less anger and malice and slander and gossip of one another. So what does this this look like? Well, implications of verse 11 to community groups. Let's think it through, okay? Tonight, we have over 200 people from Parkview gathering to learn the vision of community groups. That's awesome. And let's remember, the reason we go to community groups is so we can gather around Jesus together and grow in Christ-likeness together. And yes, there's people in your community group that probably drive you nuts because they're so different from you. But guess what? In Christ you guys are united and so you get to learn from Jesus how to love and pour yourself out in service and care for those in your community group. A word to the college students. If you're a freshman, this means to get connected as soon as possible to a freshman group or a community group. Maybe that means it's not gonna be through 24-7, maybe through it's a different ministry. We love all the other ministries. Go for it. Whatever you do, don't do the Lone Ranger thing. It never works. Get plugged in soon to freshman group, and grow in Christ-centered community. And the last thing is this, right? The implication of verse 11 for community is this. Christ is all, which means we got to speak Jesus to each other, okay? What we need in community, in our friendships, as we gather together in freshman groups or community groups, whatever it is, we don't need to give each other good advice. We need to give each other good news. We need to give each other good news, right? Like Paul, We need to learn to speak the identity of Christ over one another. When your brother comes to you confessing sin, what he needs isn't seven strategies immediately. He doesn't need seven strategies of how to be a better person. He needs Jesus. He's really reminded that his sins are forgiven. He needs to be reminded that he's a new creation in Christ, that by the Holy Spirit, he has power to put off the old self and to put on the new self, which is being renewed after the image of its creator. We need to speak words of life. When your sister comes to you, And she yet again failed in that particular sin that she always fails at. What she needs is an embrace of love and words of encouragement and exhortation to keep killing the sin, keep turning from the sin, and keep walking in holiness that Christ has given to her through his death and resurrection. We need to speak Jesus to each other in community. Friends, that is what Jesus called us to. So I'll, I'll conclude with this, okay? Two things, okay? One, for those of us here who uh, are still not yet following Jesus, okay? You, you've, you've not yet committed to following Christ. I want you to see what Jesus offers you right here. I hope that you see that the problems in your life, the ways you want to grow, cannot happen through your own habits, through your own willpower, through your own decision-making capabilities, your own cleverness. They can only happen for you to change from one degree of goodness to another. It happens through Jesus, happens through Jesus. This is a call to you, if you're not like follow Christ, is is, is to come to the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, yes, is a warning to you. The wrath of God comes upon these sins. But you don't have to live under the wrath of God because Christ took that for you on the cross. You can turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, embracing him, and live out this new life that he wants for you. That's available to you right now as you turn from your life of sin and you come to the Lord Jesus and receive from him the power that you need to live life for him. Second, Parkview needs to become, needs to practice the McShane principle. Needs to practice the McShane principle. What do I mean? Well, there's a man named Robert Murray McShane who was a pastor in 19th century Scotland. He has a famous quote about how to battle against sin. He says this, okay, listen. Learn much of Jesus for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ, He's altogether lovely. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that's in him. That's what I'm talking about. Does your soul know the sweetness and excellency of Christ? That is what is available to you. Here's what, here's what I mean. Some of you need to look at yourself more honestly. Okay? He says, right? Every look at yourself, 10 looks at Christ. Okay? Some of you need to just be honest with yourself. Where are you spiritually? You need to take your sin more. Seriously, because you're prone to spiritual laziness, okay? Some of us in here, we, we kind of just drift. We drift towards spiritual laziness. And so what I'm praying for is that the Lord use this sermon to kind of wake you up, right? Because if you had a terrible disease that could possibly kill you, that required medicine on a regular basis in a certain place in order to defeat that disease, would you ever skip that? Would you ever th- wake up one day and think, nah, I don't need that today? No. You'd make sure that you're there on time and you take that medicine day after day because you know that it was, it was what you needed to heal you from this disease. Friends, sin is like a disease. It no longer has the power to finally defeat you, but it can harm you greatly. And my concern is maybe some of us have just kind of drifted to spiritual laziness, okay? Some of us care more about how we're doing in our video game score or how many followers on Instagram, or whatever it is, okay? No, not bad things, good things, but they've become so... Precious to us that we have forsaken really caring about our character and our growth in the Lord, and so I want us to Look at ourselves right and then look at Christ The person here those who are prone to spiritual anxiety Okay spiritual depression and despondency. That's that's me. I lean more this way And for you you're aware you have a disease and you look at your disease and you study about your disease And you you think about all the ways your disease could possibly kill you But you never take your medicine you never look to Christ and so, the, so, so, so today you have to look at Christ right look at his loveliness look at all that Jesus has done for you you look at yourself and you see lust and you feel ashamed but look at Christ right this is who you are you are in Christ and Christ is your purity who frees you to kill that sin you look within yourself you see materialism right then t- take, take 10 looks at Christ the generosity of Jesus he is your Lord who became poor for your sake so that you could become spiritually rich and let that shape how you view and use your money. You look at yourself, you see anger towards specific in your, people in your life right now. Well, then look 10 times at Christ, at his kindness, that he does not rage at you in wrath when you sin. No, but he took your wrath so you could experience his love. And let that shape how you interact and view others. You look at yourself right now, and you see ways that you are just so sinful, you're so broken, I don't do this right, I, I just impure motivation, you're just, oh, all the... Look to Christ. Friends, Colossians 3, 1 to 4 is your reality right now if you're in Jesus. You have died to sin because of Christ. You've been raised to newness of life. Jesus is your life, and he now empowers you right now to live a life for him, to put to death your sin, and to live for him. That is what Christ offers you. You are no longer a cyclone. You've been transferred. You're now Hawkeye. Friends, we gotta live like it. We gotta put to death our sin and live for Christ because that, that is who we are. Let's pray. Father, we love you, we thank you that this word to us exhorts us to take our sin seriously, yes, but to take you even more seriously because what we have in you, Lord Jesus, this newness of life, we are called to live it out by the power of the Spirit. We're called to put this sin to death, Lord, because it's no longer who we are. I pray for those who are stuck in patterns of sin right now. Lord Jesus, would you please free them by your power of your Spirit? Would they take seriously the steps they need to take to get rid of this sin, Lord? Maybe it's talking to a friend. I don't know what it is, Lord. I just pray that you make it clear to them. And Lord, I pray that all of our hearts, though we look to Christ and see the infinite beauty and loveliness of Jesus and all that we have in him right now. We love you and adore you. Amen.